Well, great to finally be back, and I really want to appreciate everybody that helped while I was gone. Um, I went on a pastor's retreat and was there three days, and then somebody had tested positive for COVID. So I had to go into quarantine for 10 days. I had been tested two times, and both of those tests were negative. I appreciate everybody's prayers for that, and I appreciate the Swadleys and everyone else uh, filling in and a really understanding church. And so good to be back with you. Um, we are now starting a new series, and um, the book I'm using, and before you pause and say, well, that doesn't apply to me, I am converting this book. It's not that it's not a Christian book, but it's called When Sinners Say I Do. I had mentioned that we were going to go through this book, and I'm not even encouraging you to buy it. Um, but when I went through it for marriage counseling for a couple that was getting ready to get married, it just blew me away on how it's a very comprehensive book dealing with our core problem as people, and that is our depravity and our sinfulness. And us as Christians, we think when we get saved, suddenly everything's going to be okay. And yes, we have the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are set for heaven. But we will struggle for, with sin until the day we die or Jesus returns. And so what I'm doing is taking this book and the chapters of this book and kind of while they focus on marriage, I'm not, well, I'm just leaving that part out and focusing on the depravity because this issue deals with every part of our life even beyond marriage. So as I look at the title, When Sinners Say I Do, and it says Discovering the Power of the Gospel for Marriage, I would change that in the sense of Discovering the Power of the Gospel for Life. And the gospel is not just to save us, but to give us the power for life, to live this life. So I encourage you um, to uh, not check out, to enjoy this, uh, to let these things uh, uh, resonate in your life. And, and if you feel like I uh, need to, buy the book and, and uh, read it. And if it applies to your, it will definitely apply if you're married. But even if you're not married, you will see the core of our issues. And it really helped me uh, to see, you know, the, the sin that we struggle with. Um, everything is about the same what we're doing right now. We're only doing one service at, at 10, 20 a.m. on Sundays. You just come a little bit before. We're social distancing. Uh, we also have sanitizing stations everywhere. Uh, there's a place for you to place your offering. Also, you can uh, place your offering online. Or we have a P.O. box. All of this, we've changed our website address to basschapel.church. And everything, our connections on Facebook, if you missed any of the sermons or the Sunday school or the Wednesday nights, you can go back and look at those. They're on YouTube, they're on a podcast, and they're on Facebook Live. And so basschapel.church. And so if you're missing any of those things. Uh, we're just, uh, this is the schedule we're at. Uh, uh, we're just going to play it by ear and go by the Holy Spirit as we go forward in this. And I think that's about where everybody is. So let's open in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I just pray you speak through this and help us to see the core issue as we talk about uh, being theologians and our worldview. And I just pray you help us to see what we need to do. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's dive into this. and we'll be looking at chapter 1. And like I said, I kind of convert it to the general thing of dealing with whatever area of life. And the question to ask is, what we believe about God determines the quality of our life? Hmm. What we believe about God determines the quality of our life. And 
God wants the best for us. You know, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. So if we're rightly dividing the word of God, which is what we're going to really focus on today, then yes, what we believe about God believing his word determines the quality of life. But if we don't believe the things of the Bible and what God says, our quality of life, especially eternally, is not going to be that good. Everyone views life from a different perspective. Uh, what some call worldview. Boy, are we not seeing that right now. What my problem is, is I feel everybody can have a conversation about their worldview, but I can't. I'm talking about as a believer. I'm not making an excuse for it. It's the fact that I feel everybody can shoot off their mouth that I'm supposed to shut up. Now, I want to be really clear. I quote this verse a lot, 1 Peter 3.15. We're supposed to give a reason for the hope that we have, yet with gentleness and peace. And we've got to know when to speak and when not to speak and what things are important and what things are not. And too too many times, the problem is Christians shooting their mouths off. But everybody views life from a different perspective, and that is worldview. This is how I see the world. This is my perspective. Yeah, we all have a perspective. I come from a family of uh, six, uh, four, uh, my mom and dad, uh, four uh, kids. And when my brothers and sisters and I get together, it's funny how we'll have all been a part of the same situation and we've all viewed it differently. You know what I'm saying? Perspective. Our worldview is shaped by many things. It can be our culture, our gender, our upbringing, our situation. All those things shape how we look at something. And the most profound thing that shapes anybody's worldview is their understanding of God. Think about that. I may have a worldview because my parents raised me a certain way, or I went without something, or, you know, I lived in a certain area. But the main thing that shapes us is how we see it, uh, uh, about God, whether there is a God and what that God looks like. And obviously we're dealing with that, and been dealing with that since the beginning of time. What a person believes about God determines what he or she thinks about how we got here. Okay? I don't believe in God, so we just exist, or we come from amoeba or whatever, and all these things happen. And, you know, uh, but we have to understand uh, what we, uh, what a person believes about God determines about what he or she thinks how we got here. A lot of theories about that. I'm going to get off on a tangent, but Christians, you need to stop wimping out on what the Bible says. We'll sit there and believe that Jesus can rise from the dead, but he can't be born of a virgin. Or we'll sit there and believe that he can die on a cross and raise from the dead and save our souls, but God can't create the world in six days. And this is for another series, but you know what? All this is possible, all that is feasible, and that is the God of the Bible. So, yeah, I believe in six literal days. You know, if you put, uh, you add enough time to something, it can happen by chance. Okay? And so, what we need to understand is what we need, what we think about a God determines how we got here. And what our ultimate meaning is and what happens after we die. All these things are based on what we think about God. And I had this, you know, really underlined. So essentially our worldview, our perspective on life, is determined by our perspective of God. So this is the key of tonight's study. What, how we see life is based on how we see God. 
I would write that down, underline it, and say, this is what I'm sticking in my mind. How we see life is based on how we see God. And when we talk about theology, all we are talking about is what we think about God. That is theology, theos, God. You know, And when we talk about theology, which is really essential and important, and you want your pastor to have studied that, all right, and to rightly divide the Word of God, what we, what, when we talk about theology, we're talking about what we think about God. So here's something else we learned. Theology means what we think about God. All right? And everybody here has a worldview, a perspective of God. And everybody here has developed a theology of God. And none of that matters except according to God's Word. It's a base to start. And you got to learn. What I've had to learn in life is what is a gold nugget that I need to hold on to and what is trash that I need to throw out. Discernment. We really need discernment right now because we've got a lot of information and we need to understand what is truth and what is not. What you truly believe about God and what it means to live for God is your theology. What we truly believe about God and what it means to live for God is your theology. So what you really do with what you believe about God is your theology. So you've got to ask the question, do I have a literal translation of the God of the Bible or do I have a loose version that has nothing to do with the Bible? That I've omitted, that I've changed, or whatever. What kind of theologian are you? That's the question we're going to ask tonight. What kind of theologian are you? Whether we realize it or not, our ideas about life, uh, marriage, conflict, and anything else reveal themselves all the time in our words and deeds. Uh, we are living out what we believe in God by what we do or what we don't do, by what we say or by what we don't say and inevitably reflecting our view of God. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, lest you deceive yourselves. Uh, James 1.22 It really uh, might be statements like this. See if you can recognize. Uh, It really frustrates me when this happens. Yeah, whatever. Uh, You know, on important things. We just kind of blow it off. You don't really care about uh, this or my needs. You know, talking about marriage or life or whoever. Why can't I, I trust this or that? Uh, such simple statements which every person might think come from our hearts and we've adopted a certain assumption about who we are, what we need, and what's really important, and how God figures into all that. And see, this is the, this is the core and the nugget and why I want to do this book is somehow, somewhere, and again, Jeremiah 17.9 is a verse I'm going to be learning. I, I know it generally, but I haven't memorized it. But it talks about that the heart is desperately wicked and sick. And we're saved, Christian, and you have the Holy Spirit, but you're still dealing with your sinfulness, and you got to you got to understand how how go back to from our hearts we've adopted certain assumptions about who we are, what we need, and what's really important, how God figures into it. And from our hearts we are sinful and selfish, and so our theology can be bent towards what I want, desperately wicked, depravity of man yet saved and have grace. And we're going to get into that. This is why I think it will help you a lot. That might be obvious to you right now, but I trust it won't be. It'll be more clear as we go through this. A good and everyday uh, theologian can see in their conversation their beliefs about God and self and about problems and relationships, about what is right and what is wrong and all these things. I want you to look through this week, kind of keep a middle note of when you respond to things. What you say. 
the things you watch, um, the things you approve of, the things you disapprove of, and asking the question why. Oh boy, oh yeah. <laughs> so make no mistake about it, how how uh, we build our lives day by day and year by year is fundamentally shaped about our theology, how we see God. Have this, you know, marked in red. It governs how you think, what you say, how you act. Your theology governs your whole life, and your theology is how you see God. And as a Christian, you need to see God according to the Bible. He uses an example, and then have you ever buttoned a shirt wrong? Okay, I got a new shirt the other day, and I was putting it on the hanger, and I started buttoning it wrong, and then I had a suit like I'm wearing today, not, but I've got a wedding, and I was really hoping, because they were, they were young kids, I was hoping they were just going to be, you know, casual, whatever. No, i got to get the black suit out. So I got the black suit out, you know, every pastor's got to have one to marry and bury or whatever. So anyway, so I was buttoning up the suit, and it's like it was off, and being OCD, that bothered me to death. But have you ever, like, put a, and they put those extra buttons at the bottom of the shirt, and now you want to wear it out, so you're looking for those kind of things. But you ever misbuttoned a shirt and you get it on, and then you realize it's off? Yeah, that's how our theology can be. He uses that as an example. Moments uh, like this are awkward, and you know people see us, or we don't uh, we don't realize it. We say, "Should I fix it?" Or should I allow it? Because we really like looking at other people's theology. We're doing that right now. There's so many. See, here's the interesting thing. Do I like everybody fighting? And I like, I'm just going to say it. The media is pushing a lot of this junk. And that's not Republican or Democrat. They are pushing this junk. And so to argue for argument's sake is horrible. But we need to go back to the the book of Acts and Mars Hill, Christians. We have had it safe where, you know, the fact, you know, people had a God base. That is out the window. That has been out the window for about three decades now. And so here's the deal. you got to go back to Mars Hill and Acts where you've got to suck it up and have those conversations with people and apply First Peter 3.15 with gentleness and peace. Give a reason for the hope that you have. And so... Let's go back to, we, we're walking around and we're seeing people with their shirts buttoned wrong, theologically, off, and we start jumping on them. And he's the example here, should I fix it or should I just allow it? And one thing I did through this marriage counseling that I was doing is one statement that keep, we kept flying through is, is it going to matter 100 years from now? If it is, yeah, you need to have those conversations. And we'll get into that. Because the first thing is you need to deal with yourself. And you need to deal with your buttons that are off as your theology on your view of God. It's amazing how dis, uh, distorted and disheveled one can look from not getting the first button right. Think about your theology. I, I mentioned creation. But you get that wrong and Ken Ham talks about the fact that you get the base wrong. How is anything going to sound that foundation? You get Christ. If either God, either Christ is fully man and fully God, not created, but God. If he, if if we see him any other way, it's a cult, and it is not the proper foundation. You're unthinking saying. So you got to start off. Uh, think about this 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 shoveled. Uh, one can look from not getting the first button right. Start off in the wrong place, and there's no way to correct the problem down the line. Getting the first one right is the key to giving, getting everything else right. you got to get God right. Do I have God totally figured out? No, he even says that. But he gives us his love letter, his word. 
And there is enough and more than enough to help us understand, get this, biblical worldview. Notice it said biblical worldview. We need to follow the God of the Bible. No excuse. Three weeks ago, Christian, what verse are you learning right now? What are you doing in the Word? Right now, I'm trying to learn Psalms 55:17, Evening, morning, and at noontime. That's how far I've gotten. But it's talking about prayer. Okay? Life is like that shirt. If you get the first things right, then many other uh, buttons, communication, marriage, conflict, resolution, uh, all start to line up the way it works here. But what do we try to do? I'm going to work on this little area over here. I'm going to work in this little area over here. What about your relationship with God and how you see Him, your theology? Because if you start working on those little areas, and they're big areas, and you don't have the theology right, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, one of the churches I was in, that was the issue. Was There was all these fires going on, but they, we had to get back to that, look, this is going to be our foundation. And we're going to commit to whatever it says. We're going to go with it. And then we'll deal with the other stuff. Well, guess what? That works for the church. It works even better for yourself. And so the first uh, button you've got is theology. But what does a rightly button theology look like? And I hear I'm not wearing a shirt with buttons today, but you can imagine. Okay. All right. What, what, so that's the question. What does rightly button theology look like? Let's uh, look briefly at Three of the most important components of a solid biblical theology. So we're going to look at three important components of a solid biblical theology. Uh, the foundation of your life needs to be the Bible. Hmm. Sounds pretty simple. But to me, oh, I'm not memorizing scripture and I'm not reading the word. And I tend to pay more attention to somebody when we're trying to deal with the problem in church or in life, when they first say, what does God's Word say? This is what you need to get in your mind right now, Christian. The first thing you do in any situation is what does God's Word say? Foundation. To be a good theologian, therefore, you must study God's, God, must study God as He really is. I like how he said that. As He really is, not who you want Him to be. And we're getting this buffet theology where I like God said this, so I'm putting it on my plate. I do not like that, so I'm leaving it there. And no, no. We need to take it all. We must get our understanding, our interpretation of God and the reality of Scripture. It is in Scripture that God is revealed truly His character, His activity, His heart, His glorious redemptive plan. Uh, John 14.6 said this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. To know him is to know the truth. I love that statement. I had it marked in red. To know him is to know the truth. John 8.32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if Jesus is the truth, according to John 14.6, and you accept him as the truth, then you will know the truth, John 8.32, and the truth will set you free. So, as God's word, it, it fills our life with eternal and glorious significance. It also speaks of authority on life, how it's meant to be. It is both uh, uh, to evaluate our life and it's the key to joy. It's a wonderful, freeing thing to realize the durability and the quality of life is not ultimately based on the strength of our commitment to God, but it's based 
on God and what he can do. Rather, it's based on something completely apart. It's based on God's truth. We find plain and clear on the pages of Scripture. doesn't matter what I think. doesn't matter what I say. It's God's Word. Hebrews tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The thinking was that uh, he created, uh, talking about the Bible, that God created this program. He wrote a manual. He's the authority. Let's start there. This is the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. And so God created uh, this and gave it to us uh, so that we would have instructions. He is the one and only reliable, trustworthy authority on the subject of life. He is the inventor. He knows how it works and how to make it last. And the Bible is the foundation of a thriving life, a thriving marriage, everything. Second Timothy 3.16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for instruction and useful for life. Guys, let's stop messing around and saying I'll take and leave it and just realize it's oxygen for your soul. That you need it. The Bible is foundational. And that's the problem. You're not making it the foundation. You cannot have a biblical worldview if you're not going to stand on this. So the next component is the foundation of life is the gospel. Okay? If we want to live with the Bible as a foundation, let's make sure we're clear about what, what it's really about. Here's a quick overview he talks about of the Bible's perspective. In the first two chapters of Genesis, we see God created man and woman to live in dependence and for the glory of God. Yet three chapters in, okay, they've turned away from God to themselves and sin has entered the picture. And as a direct result, they lose an extraordinary personal relationship that they enjoyed um, with God and break what will affect every person for years to come. That's the simplicity of what happened. We are made for a relationship with God. We are being given free will. So this, how can a loving God No man did this? Okay? Because God has moved, and this is where we get into the gospel, God has completely restored a personal relationship lost by Adam and Eve as he created the new heavens and the new earth for his people. He provided a way to be right with them. Let's see, there's a relationship broken by sin in the distant past, and then because the sin has been removed, the relationship is fully restored at the same at some point in the future pretty clear pattern there now what happens in the next 64 books in between the gospel that's what happens and this is what he says in the book god sent his son as the answer to our sin dilemma okay not just to be an example of moral goodness or to teach us a way to live but to take the judgment for sin promised in genesis 3 so that we might live in a restored relationship with god forever that's the gospel, the good news. That yes, you're destined for hell, and there is no way out. But God sent His Son, John three sixteen, that whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is the heart of the Bible. It's everything in Scripture. It's it's either preparation for the gospel, the presentation of the gospel, or participation in the gospel. I'm going to say that again because I love that. This is what the Bible's about. This is what life for a Christian should be about. Preparation for the gospel. Helping people. When I ask who is your one, how are you preparing them for the gospel, the good news? And then getting to the point where you verbally and clearly present the gospel. And then if they come to Christ, 
as you have, Christian, participate in the gospel and sharing the good news. No excuses. Commandment. You're in sin if you don't. In the life and death, in the life and death and resurrection of Christ, the gospel provides an ultimate solution to our sin. For today, for tomorrow, for the day we stand before God and forever. It is the good news that we can be right with God. Wow, that should get you excited. The gospel explains our most obvious and basic problem. Sin has separated us from God and from each other. That's a problem. Sin. Thus we are objects of, of God's wrath. A Christian understands the necessity for the cross. Our sin is so bad that it requires the blood of Jesus. And without the cross, we are at war with God and He is at war with us. We don't like to think about that. We are God's creation. You do not become God's child till you receive the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for you. Believe that he did that. Accept him in your heart and follow him as Savior and Lord. The gospel is therefore central to all theological truths. The Bible is the foundation. The core is the gospel. And it is the overreaching reality that makes sense of all reality. Um, Never make the mistake of thinking that the gospel is only good for evangelism. And you know what? I'm a Christian. I know why I'm a Baptist. And I don't feel upset about any of that. But let's go back to this. Never make the mistake of thinking the gospel is only good for evangelism and conversion. I think Baptists have made that mistake. Oh, pastor, you're horrible. Well, we've, we've set all these quotas. And evangelism should be our about, but we ignore the second part of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And then you've got churches that all they do is discipleship. Nothing wrong with that, but it's both. It's the conversion and the life change for the rest of our lives. It's not birthing a baby into the kingdom and, and leaving them on the highway. You have to have the discipleship. It's not one or... It's both and. And so, by the gospel, we understand that although saved, we remain sinners. I would mark that down. Although we're saved, this is how the gospel helps us understand. Although we are saved, we remain sinners. And this is the problem. I'm okay now. I got my fire insurance. I mean, you know, it's okay. We need to understand. We need to question every motive in our life. Because of the fact we are dealing with the sin nature, even though that we're saved. And so we understand that although saved, we remain sinners. Though the gospel, through the gospel, we receive power to resist sin. I'm free to struggle. I don't struggle to be free. That's the gospel. I'm as saved as I'm ever going to be. And yes, I'm going to struggle with sin, but I'm free. I'm free to grow. I'm free to say no. I'm free to follow the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Accurately understanding, continuing to apply the gospel is the Christian life. Accurately understanding and continuing to apply the gospel is the Christian life. This also means that the gospel is an endless fountain of grace in your life. Endless fountain of grace. To become a good theologian and to be able to look forward to a life, uh, to an abundant life, you must have a clear understanding of the gospel. Without it, you cannot see God, yourself, or anyone else truly as they are. The gospel is the foundation of a thriving life. The next component, the focus of life, the glory of God. It's not about me, it's about He. And 
you know, seek first Matthew six thirty three, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew uh, uh, five sixteen, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's all about glorifying God. You see how this all ties together. You know. I have to have the foundation is the Bible. The core is the gospel that one God can save me and God can keep me and that I'm to uh, prepare for it and then accept it and then to uh, participate in getting it out there. And so we have to understand this foundation that it's all for the glory of God. The focus of a thriving life is the glory of God. And he talks about this street level theology. I go back to you. You are living street-level theology every day in what you say and what you do or what you don't say and what you don't do. So let's... Come on. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the word and use words when necessary. You may be the only book that somebody's reading. And you need to understand that. And so we, we are street theologians trying to exercise our faith in the world. So, the good news of the gospel uh, in mind, so with the good news of the gospel in mind, the, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, we have to ask the dumb question we're asking this week do you still sin? I'm saved, forgiven, do I still sin? Do other people still sin, Christians that you, uh, let me make it easy, he says for you. Yeah, we do. We're all sinners. We all still sin. And that's not an excuse because then you got the other side. And, well, I, I'm just going to struggle with this. I might as well give in to it. Really? And again, I'm not mad. I'm tired of this wimped out Christianity. There's a thing called holiness and sanctification. I am a recovering legalist. And what that means, I thought I had to do this, this, and this to be saved and do this, this, and this to stay saved. No, I'm as saved as I'm ever going to be. But you know what? Are you going to be more like God than when you started? You're free to struggle. And where's your consistency? Throwing your hands up? Yeah, throw your hands up and give up and say, God, help me. But that doesn't mean you don't obey. And you don't back the truck up and try again. That's your street theology. The daily struggle with sin experienced by genuine Christians underscores the fact that while Christ certainly saved us, He does not transform us instantly and completely and the non-sinners. This is why you go to Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are to be transformed, not conformed to this world. That we are called to be a living sacrifice. The problem with a living sacrifice is it can choose to get off the altar. And that altar, according to Luke 9, 23, is to take up your cross daily and follow me, denying yourself. <coughs> daily struggle with sin experienced by genuine Christians underscores the fact that while Christ certainly saved us, he does not transform us instantly and completely in non-sinners. This has been a misnomer that churches have sold people a lot of times previously. Oh, suddenly everything's going to be good. I remember telling this guy, it's probably going to get worse. And it did for him. And I wasn't trying to speak truth over his life, but so many times I'm saved, everything's going to be good. You know, if you got other blessings, you're just doubly blessed. And you're either, uh, we talked about you're either going into trouble, in the middle of trouble, or coming out of trouble. And he says not to focus on that, but focus on him, take heart, because he has overcome the world. That glorious process begins the moment we're converted and continues throughout life on our life on earth. But it will only finish when we leave this fallen world. 
This is why I go back to our founding fathers. Why do we have three systems of, of, of government of checks and balances? Because they understood the depravity of man. Why am I in accountability, whether it's my spouse or with men? Because I know that I'm depraved and left by myself, I will do wrong things and I won't want to be around people. And I love people. See what I'm saying? We need this. That's why here in this first chapter, and even in the title of the book, he says, uh, you know, he's emphasized and personalized the reality of sin. God is changing us sinners. The process of change points towards a glorious goal to become more like the Son or the Savior. So if you sit there and just throw your hands up, which you should, surrender to God on your sin, but that doesn't mean you don't stop. And, and, and you don't do it to be saved. You do it because you are saved and you are free to obey. Without such biblical clarity, we will, know, we will have no context for the cross and no ongoing awareness of our need of grace. And mercy. This is why the Bible has to be the foundation. The gospel is the central core, and their goal is to glorify God. Without a robust perspective on sin, the very notion of what it means to know God is profoundly weakened. And these street theologians are all writing their own Bible and saying it's okay for me, and it's not okay for you, or you need to chill out. And here's where I'm at. Don't give a rip about what I think. Let's go here. I'm not going to beat you up with this, but this is God's word. You argue with God. And if he's okay with it, fine. Or if there's a, I don't believe there's gray areas, there may be grace areas. But Christians, and I'm mainly talking to you, you have left this book, and ministers have left this book, and you have watered it down, and that is not biblical. A robust perspective of sin, the very notion of what it means to know God has been profoundly weakened without full disclosure on sin. Blind self-confidence will compel us to try to make our lives work on our own strength. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I can do it. Don't need your help. That little kid that's trying to do something that they can't do, and the parents allowing them, which they shouldn't. I'm getting in trouble. Who cares? they got to be ready for it. Whatever we do, whatever and whatever we try to do in our own strength, does not have its goal does not have as its goal the glory of God and does not get its life from the fountain of the gospel. This is why I see a lot of times in churches Christians that are trying to do things in their own strength and then suddenly they're not getting the recognition they need or the joy they had before and so suddenly, oh I can't do it. Well you tried to do it yourself or you tried to make it about you. Been there again, done that, got the uh, uh, T shirts. Till sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Think about that. Till sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And this, he wants in this book to convince us that dealing with the sin problem is key to a thriving life. And when we apply the gospel to our sin, it gives us hope in our personal lives and our mar- in marriages and anything. Bad news leads to good news. But so many times we're not given the bad news. And it's the story of the Bible. And it's the story of our lives. Looking first at our own sin as the root cause of our problem in our life is not easy, and it certainly doesn't come naturally. And especially now, it's never our fault, it's somebody else's fault. And the sin that remains in your heart and mind opposes God and His people, and it obstructs our joy, and it obstructs our holiness, and it clips our a thriving, healthy life and a testimony of God's goodness and His mercy. And as we begin to build our lives on the Word of God, this is how this works, and on the gospel of Christ's victory over sin, 
as we face the sad, painful, undeniable reality of our own remaining sin, we will see it for what it is. It's a bitter, it's a hateful thing. Again, you go to a doctor. Do you want him to lie to you? Do you want him to melt, uh, water it down? Or do you want him to tell the truth? And this is the prescription. It tells us of our sinful situation, but it also gives us the solution and the hope and the reality of the good news. You've got to take the good before you get. You have to take the bad before you get to the good. We flee the gospel. We flee to the gospel as our remedy. Then we begin to realize that our new hope in life, a lot of hope, a hope that energizes with the power of the gospel, the very power that raised Christ from the dead from the tomb, and we get a glimpse of that sweet relationship that's going to be complete when we get to heaven, and we and the when we have that living, thriving uh, union with God. Our sins confessed and and our situation forgiven. So where are we going to go from here? Because of the grace of God and the counsel of men and women, um, um, uh, who I've been, he says he's been accountable to and and accountable in our life. More often than not, the buttons in our lives are lined up reasonably well. This is why the excuse of not going to church. Church is family. Church is biblical. He says in Hebrews, do not forsake the uh, assembly and yourselves together. This is why small groups are important because we need that accountability. We need that brother that Proverbs talks about that says that button is off. That we know that they're not trying to beat us up, that they love us enough to tell us. If you had a smudge on your face or a stain on your shirt or was misbuttoned, you would want that person. And this is why we need each other, to let us know our buttons or our theology lined up. This is why you need to be talking and listening to solid biblical teaching. This is why you need to be in the Word yourself. This is why you need to have accountability with brothers and sisters to keep your theology lined up. It started years ago when you began learning the simple truth about the importance of paying close attention to God's Word. Well, Pastor, I don't know how you do your sermons. You, you just must now get them off the YouTube or whatever, you know, and and uh, just uh, mimic them or whatever. And you know what the sad thing is? Is a lot of you aren't checking ministers, and a lot of them are buying sermon series, which an outline's okay, or they're going on and using somebody else's sermon, and yeah, it's going to be skippy-dippy, but somebody else has done the other work. And I want you to understand, it's every I believe every believer needs to be a biblical theologian. I believe they need to be a student of the Bible. And so that means is you see what does God's word say? What does it mean? And how would I say it? This is the Bible study method. What does it say? What does it mean? And how would I say it? How would I get this across today? And so when I'm studying the word, we're going to be starting a new series on on the uh, parables called stories. And we're going to look at the parable of the soils this week. And so when I go through that scripture, I'm going verse by verse. I'm trying to see what the original word was, were. I'm trying to see what God was saying before that in the previous chapter. And trying to understand that to rightly divide the word of God. Well, Pastor, we're glad you're doing that. Well, you need to. You need to listen. And you need to read the word. And you need to discern. And there are no excuses. Because electronically and physically, there are so many study Bibles and easy things to rightly determine the word of God. So you're just not doing it if you're not doing it. It started years ago, you simply, by learning the truth, the importance of paying close attention to God's Word. This button, uh, this button number one in, in this book, and it's why he's emphasizing seeing God, yourself, and your life as they truly are. As we come to the end of this time, perhaps you realize you have some buttons out of place. 
maybe there yeah, maybe you begin to sense that if you experience that if your experience of sin is not all that bitter, your experience of life is not all that sweet. Maybe your theology is not all that it should be. It's okay, we're gonna stick around, we're gonna look at this and we're gonna deal with these things. Like I said, I was listening to this to do marriage counseling and just really got to the core of the things that we struggle with and it's our sin nature. We're gonna see sin Although deceitful, it's at the same time surprisingly predictable. I want you to think about that. Yeah, it deceits us, but it consistently does things. We're going to look at the glorious mysteries of mercy and grace and forgiveness. We're talk- you got to talk about the bad before you talk about the sweet. you got to talk about the bitter before you talk about the sweet. And see how uh, these become practical, powerful tools in the hands of a good theologian. We're going to look at a variety of ways we can help and serve others uh, from the heat of confrontation to the warmth of, of that spiritual intimacy we can help have with people. And we're going to look ahead to uh, the day when our time on earth grows short and how we want to go out and how we want to end. Could it be that we are actually sinners? Then this study is going to be for you. Yes, we are. According to you're going to be the Bible, your foundation, the gospel, your core, and your goal is the glory of God. It has to start there. God already knows you're sinners. He knows we're sinners. He gives us everything we need to build a thriving life. God is completely and totally and enthusiastically supportive of every effort to build a God-glorifying life. He wants to help us. He wants to delight in us. He wants to make us strong. He wants to make uh, this stick and sweet in our life. And you may be leaving this saying, what is he talking about? He talked about everybody's a theologian and has a perspective of God. And everybody is a street theologian. They're living it out in their words and their actions. And we talked about we need to be biblical theologians and we have a biblical worldview and that starts with the Bible as our foundation, that the gospel is the core of that foundation that runs through the whole Bible and that our whole goal in life is to glorify God. Question I want to leave you with. If you are on a deserted island, it's not so deserted, you're stuck with a few people and you're the only Christian, would they accurately be able to see and read the God of the Bible? I'm not talking about you messing up and struggling with sin, but from what you know and what you studied and you had no copy of the Word. Let that sink in. And I pray that this blesses you and helps you. And it, to start, if you don't know God and you're, you're, you're uh, tuning in or viewing this Bible study, I want to encourage you right now that you right now ask God. Realize, tell Him you're a sinner. Ask Him to come into your life to take your sins and and to save you. Admit your sinner. Believe he died and rose from the dead for those sins and confess your sin to him and commit to him as Savior and Lord. Lord, I thank you for everybody here tonight and I just pray that you speak to their hearts and I just pray, dear Lord, that you help us and to take this seriously whether we know you or not that we will struggle with sin until the day we meet you. That yet, if we have your salvation, the gospel is there to save us and the gospel is there to carry us. Bless everyone in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.